0: So would you please turn with me to your study outline? Uh, and as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are joining us online. We are so glad uh, that you're joining us for our study of God's Word. Over 500 of you every Sunday. It's like another worship service online that are joining us. also want to welcome our friends at First Baptist Church of Arco, Idaho, and also First Baptist Church of Kalispell, Montana, and also the Hangar in Marion, Montana, and also the Men's Biker Weekend in San Marcos. I hope I got that right because I do not like to offend bikers. This has been a rule of mine uh, for some time. So, all you men bikers up at your weekend at San Marcos that are joining us at the 9:45 service online, we are so glad that you're joining us as well. Now, we've been doing a series for April and May uh, called "A uh, Fearless." Okay. And next Sunday, I am over late, Memorial Day weekend. I'm going to be finishing this series. I'll be teaching and finishing this series next Sunday morning, and then we're going to go back to the Gospel of John when we come uh, to June. And so I'll finish that off uh, next Sunday. But today we're going to talk about the fear of failure. And I think this is one we can all connect with. We've had the fear of being vulnerable and the fear of what other people think about us. And and we've had all kinds of different fears, fear of not being able to protect our children. But today I think this is one we can all connect with, the fear of failure. And failure, the fear of failure, is something we struggle with our whole lives. Um, I remember particularly when I was younger, Uh, When I was in high school, before a big track meet, I would literally just be sick to my stomach for a couple of days before I was so afraid. And I realized it was the fear of failure, walking into a big exam in college, I would also just be gripped by fear. And I realized it was the fear of failure. When I first started preaching, uh, Kimberly will tell you, I was just a nervous wreck on Saturdays because of the fear of failure. Now, I felt better about myself when I heard that Billy Graham, probably the most successful preacher that ever lived, they said, he, he said that even into his 70s and 80s, he would still throw up before he preached. Every time he gets sick to his stomach because he was so nervous uh, before he'd go into preach. And so the fear of failure is something we struggle with At every stage within our life. But here's the main point of our study this morning. Okay, failure uh, doesn't have to be our enemy, it can actually be our friend. Failure doesn't have to be our enemy. It can actually be used by God uh, to be our friend. As a matter of fact, the movement of following Jesus, the biggest, most successful, most widespread, fastest growing, even today, fastest growing, most pervasive movement in all of world history was founded by two failures. One of them stopped following Jesus once he had been following him. His name was Peter. Don't be alarmed, the angel said. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen he is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples. What are the next two words? You tell me. And Peter. He's going ahead of you into Galilee. Then you'll see him just as he told you. Why did he have to specify Peter? Because Peter was depressed. He was crushed. He had denied. He had failed Jesus three times. And he was often hiding, crushed by his failure. And so Jesus instructs the angel, give a personal invitation to Peter. Why? Because he's feeling like a failure, and I need to get him back up on his feet once again. And that's what he does here in the book of John. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. He does it three times because Peter had denied him three times. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. This, according to tradition, Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't deem himself worthy to be crucified in the same way as Jesus. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. And maybe you're here this morning just to hear those two words. It's not an accident you're here. It's not an accident you're watching online or, or you're in Arco or Marion uh, or, or uh, you're with the men up in San Marcos or you're a Kalispell. It's not an accident that you're, you're joining us and, and watching this right now or here this morning. God invited you here personally because you've gone through a failure in your life and you're crushed like Peter and you're thinking, can God still use me? Can, can God still work through me? And Jesus invited you here By name, in the same way he said, and Peter, and Bill, and Mary, and Jose, and and Sally, he invited you by name to come here and to say, it's time to get up on your feet once again. I can still use you. I can actually use the failure you've gone through in your life. Now you come and follow me. Does anybody want to say amen to that? That's why you're here. Now, the other great leader of the early church was Paul. And he's one who killed followers of Jesus before he became one. Acts 9, Paul fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, that was his Hebrew name in the Hebrew. Paul, Paul was in the Greek. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now, this haunted Paul for the rest of his life. He writes in 1 Corinthians 15, for I am the least of the apostles And do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Can you imagine him preaching in a church service like this? And he looks over here and there's the daughter of of somebody that he threw into prison. Over there is the brother to somebody that he had killed. And as he's preaching, he, he sees these different people in the audience and he realizes that he persecuted either them or somebody close to them. And so he says, I persecuted the church of God but by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, you are what you are. I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. Uh, David writes in Psalm 34 I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears, including the fear of failure. Uh, Douglas Marmford uh, wrote a book called Scared to Death. And he cites a study that explains why we shouldn't allow fear uh, to rule our lives. Uh, they found in their research that 60% of our fears are totally unfounded. That is, there's no reason to be afraid of that particular thing. 20% of our fears are already behind us, so they can't hurt us because it's already done. 10% of our fears are so petty that even if they came true, it wouldn't make a difference in our lives. 4 to 5% of the remaining 10% are real, but we can't do anything about them. That means only 5% are real fears that we can do something about. That's why fear should not rule our lives. I love this. It's kind of corny, but I love this story. Uh, It doesn't stop me from telling other stories, so it won't stop me from this one. A certain man was troubled with dizzy spells. Okay, he was troubled by dizzy spells. He went from one doctor to another, and none could tell him what the problem was. He tried everything, it seemed, Finally, it was bothering him so much, he started to lose weight, and he couldn't sleep at night. He became a nervous wreck because of these dizzy spells, and his health began to deteriorate. He had lost hope that he would ever recover, so he decided to prepare for the worst. He made out his will, bought a cemetery plot, and even made arrangements with the local funeral home director What he was convinced about his soon demise. He even decided to buy a new suit of clothes to be buried in. He went into the tailor, he was measured for everything, and picked out his shoes, socks, coats, pants, and he asked for a size 15 shirt as well. The clerk said, But sir, you need a size 16 and a half shirt, not 15. But the man insisted he wore a size 15. Finally, in exasperation, the clerk said, But if you wear a size 15, you'll get dizzy spells. Just think about that for a while. Uh, you'll get it somewhere on the on the ride home somewhere, you know. And so I sought the Lord. He answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Failure is not my enemy. It can actually be my friend. It doesn't need to be my enemy. It can actually be my friend. Number one, remember that everyone fails. As somebody said, the closest you ever get to perfection is a job application. That is the closest you're ever going to get to it. Uh, Ted Williams, considered the greatest hitter in all of history, uh, he batted 400 one season. But that means that the greatest hitter in history failed six out of ten times. Think about that for a minute. Six out of every time, ten times he came to bat, he failed. And yet he was considered the greatest hitter of all times. James 3, verse 2, James says, We all stumble in many ways. Could we read that verse out loud uh, together? We all stumble in many ways. One more time out loud together. We all stumble in many ways. But you know what? Those failures are part of who you are. You are one in seven billion. There's nobody else like you. God has a specific plan and purpose for your life. There's nobody like you. And and when you stand before God someday, he's not going to think of the person you're most jealous of. Or think of the person that you most admire. Think of the person that you'd most like to be like. Just think of that person right now. I'm thinking of somebody. um, You you think of who it is for you. Who's the person you'd most like to be like? God will never, when you stand before him, say, why weren't you more like that person? He's not going to do it. He's going to say, why weren't you more like you? Nobody can beat you at being you. That's why we don't have to be gripped by by, um, you know, jealousy and competitiveness and feelings of inferiority or feelings of superiority. You know, nobody can beat you at being you. He's going to ask you, why weren't you more like you? And actually, the failures of your life, now don't get me wrong, we shouldn't try to fail, okay? We should try to succeed. Uh, We shouldn't try to sin, okay? We should try to follow in obedience, But when it happens, God will actually use those areas where we stumble in many ways. He'll actually use those to shape us into the unique plan and purpose and character that he has uh, for our lives. Next page of your study outline, if you haven't gone there already. Realize it's not fatal. Failure is not fatal. Whatever you come here today and you failed in a certain area, way in your past or just this past week, it's not fatal. I love Proverbs 24, verse 16. The godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. The godly may fall down seven times, but they'll get back up again. And, and really, seven is the number of perfection. So it means as many times as you fall down. With God's help, you can get back up once again. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Struck down, but not destroyed. You are down, but you are not out if you look to God. Let's read that verse out loud together, okay? Together. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair. Now, I have a weird hobby. I love to collect failure stories Some people golf, some people garden. I collect stories of failure. It's a weird hobby, but it works for me. And some of them I've shared with you before. Some may uh, be new. But I just love to collect stories of where, of God bringing people beyond their failure. Here's one. Uh, Joe Gordon, 1942, played for the New York Yankees. Uh, He led the league that year in making the most errors, in being struck out the most times, in hitting into the most double plays And he was also named the American League Most Valuable Player that year. American League, MVP. Even though he struck out more than anybody else in the league, he made the most errors of anybody else, he hit into the most double plays, still the MVP. And despite your errors and mistakes and mine, God can still fulfill his plan and purpose within our lives. Uh, Babe Ruth, who struck out a lot, I think he even had the record for strikeouts, Uh, they ask him what he thought about whenever he struck out. Whenever you strike out, what are you thinking about? He says, I think about hitting home runs. That's what I think about when I strike out. And what if we could learn to when we fail, and there again, not trying to fail, and those of you that are younger, you can miss out on so much heartache in life, if you, if you make the right decisions and, and, and don't fail, and we can do that whatever stage in life we are. But when we do fail, what if we ask God, God, what can I learn from this thing? What can you do within my life? How, what can you teach me? I want to think about hitting home runs every time I strike out. George Washington lost two-thirds of the battles that he led the United States and Americans in in the Revolutionary War. Lost two-thirds of the time. Uh, eventually won the war and became our first president. Napoleon was 42nd out of 43 in his graduating class, yet he went on to conquer most of Europe. Uh, R.H. Macy failed seven times at retailing before he started Macy Department Stores. How did that work out uh, for him after those initial failures? Governor uh, General Douglas MacArthur, considered one of the greatest generals of all time, he applied to admission to West Point, was turned down. He applied a second time, was turned down. Finally, the third time he applied, they accepted him. And he went on to become one of the most effective generals in all of history. You guys know my favorite examples on this is always Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln, when he was a young man, I love this, I get such a kick out of this. He entered the Black Hawk War as a captain. By the end of the war, he had been demoted to the rank of private. There's the greatest leader in all of world history right there. Didn't see that one coming, did we? Uh, started the war as a captain. By the end of the war, he keeps being demoted. What is it? Captain and, and then down to lieutenant, second, first lieutenant, second lieutenant, all the way down to private, and yet he went on uh, to be tremendously used by God. Edmund uh, Hillary in 1952 attempted to climb Mount Everest, highest mountain in the world, 29,000 feet up. Um, he failed. But a few weeks after his failed attempt, he was asked to address a group in England. Hillary walked to the edge of the stage, made a fist, and pointed at a picture of Mount Everest. He said in a loud voice, Mount Everest, you beat me the first time, but I'll beat you the next time because you've grown all you're going to grow, but I'm still growing. Isn't that awesome? Points at Mount Everest, you've grown all that you're going to grow. Some of you geology people say mountains still grow. I know, I know, I know. But uh, poetically speaking, it's grown all it's going to grow. But you haven't stopped growing. And and maybe think of what's the Mount Everest in your life. What is the Mount Everest? That thing is probably not still growing, but you are still growing. And on May 29th, only one year later, Edmund Hillary succeeded in becoming the first man to climb Mount Everest. You see, it's not fatal. Failure is not fatal. It's not necessarily my enemy. It can actually, with God's help, be my friend. Now, what we got to do is we've got to redefine failure. Failure is not reaching all my goals. Failure is not having any goals. Failure is not failing to fulfill all my dreams. Failure, true failure, is not having a dream. Uh, failure is not ever falling down. Failure is not, with God's help, getting back up again. And again, and again, we need to redefine failure. Number three, recognize its benefits. How God uses failure, uh, first of all, to educate me. Uh, Solomon says in Proverbs 28, a man who refuses, or a woman who refuses, to admit his or her mistakes can never be successful. But if he or she confesses and forsakes them, they get another chance. We want to cultivate an atmosphere at Purpose Church where people have the freedom to try things and fail. We try, you know, we don't, I almost said, we try to fail. No, we don't try to fail. But I'll say to the pastors, you know, if we're never failing on anything, we're not trying anything. And, and, and we need to be trying stuff. I, I always say if uh, people say, oh, don't you get irritated when you find out something's going on that you didn't know about? I said, if I know everything that's going on around here, not enough is going on. Uh, we, we need to be just trying stuff. And even if we fail sometime, let's cultivate an atmosphere where that's okay. We learn from it, and then we become more effective the next time. So God uses failure to educate me. Secondly, to motivate me. I love the good news translation of Proverbs 20, verse 30. Sometimes it takes a painful experience to make us change our ways. Anybody want to say amen? I got that. Anybody want to say amen on that one? It takes a pay... Um, Or put it this way: We don't change when we see the light. We change when we feel the heat. I wish I was smart enough to change when I see the light. I wish I was smart enough that when Kimberly lovingly points out something I could do differently. I wish I could say thank you, honey, so much for that uh, that light on this situation, and I will change my ways. No, I'm too dumb for that. Uh, I change when I feel the heat, not when I see the. No, don't get me wrong. Try to try to do it when you see the light. Uh, you know, especially those like my age that are older. We like to say to the younger people, "You don't have to learn everything by hard experience." Okay, try to try to learn by seeing the light. Try to see the light and say, "You know what? I'm going to avoid that problem." And you will be blessed if you do. But sometimes it takes a painful situation to make us change our ways. I remember a joke about a father and he's driving in the family vacation. He's got the kids in the back and his wife in the front. And he says, "A family, I've got some bad news and some good news. He says, the bad news is we're lost. But the good news is we're making excellent time. And Kimberly claims that when I'm, the more lost I am, the faster I drive, you know, the more lost I am. And sometimes it takes a painful situation. Uh, it, it's been the pain in my life that has driven me, motivated me, to the greatest uh, amount of, of, of change. Um, another example is uh, Michael Jordan, the great basketball, considered the greatest basketball. Well, no, we're, we're all. Lakers fans, second greatest to Kobe. He's the second greatest player of all time. Lakers fans, Kobe's the greatest. And, and he says, uh, when I got cut from the varsity team as a sophomore in high school, a sophomore in high school, he gets cut from the varsity basketball team. That's something Michael Jordan and I have in common. We, we have that in common with each other. As a matter of fact, I didn't even get a chance to get cut. Uh, I made the team JV in, in ninth grade. And, and it was, I was terrible, just terrible. But I think the coach kept me around for motivational purposes because uh, I would I would run to the bathroom. I'd run to the water fountain. And I would just run everywhere I went. I ran. He thought, well, he'll be good to have around the other guys. So let's just let him make the team. So I literally, I was the worst player on the team in 18 games. I scored two points. You do the math on what my average was. It was just terrible. So anyway, my track coach gets wind that I'm going to try out again my sophomore year. And I can still see the spot by the Coke machine in the hallway outside the gym at our little country high school there. And he comes up to me. He says, Glenn, I hear that you're planning on going out for basketball. I said, yeah, coach, yeah. He goes, please don't. (laughs) He said, and I could still see the look on his eyes. He said, it'd be different if you were any good, but you're not any good. Um, And and you know what? That should have hurt my feelings it absolutely didn't i laughed with him and i said coach you are so right i am delusional let's constantly. he said why don't you practice run get your miles in uh, over the winter in preparation for spring track and i'm so glad and, it, and sometimes it takes a painful situation to get us to change our ways sometimes it takes a painful conversation to get us to change our ways and I look back on that, I'm so grateful he did that and just got me from wasting my time and something there, there was no future, into something that I was more gifted at. But anyway, Michael Jordan gets cut in high school. He said, I learned something. I knew I never wanted to feel that bad again. I never wanted that taste in my mouth, that hole in my stomach. So I set a goal of becoming a starter on the varsity. And that worked out pretty well for him because sometimes failure mo- motivates me okay? Uh, Thirdly, it cultivates me. God uses it to cultivate me. Romans 5, Paul says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they are good for us. They help us learn to be patient, and patience develops strength of character in us and helps us trust God more each time we use it until finally our hope and faith are strong and steady. Can, Can you imagine what you'd be like if you never failed? I know what I would be like if I never failed. I'd be an arrogant jerk. Um, uh, Just failure is good for us. You look at Peter. I mean, in the Gospels, he is an arrogant jerk. Nobody likes Peter in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. He's braggadocious, and he says, I'll never fail, and I'll never make a mistake, and even though everybody leaves you Jesus, I never will. Then he goes through the three denials, and you see a gentler, kindler kinder, more useful Peter in the book of Acts and when he writes 1 and 2 Peter than you see in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. God uses failure in our life to make us soft. It makes us sensitive. We're less judgmental when we go through failure. We have more sympathy to other people. Now, see, we can become bitter towards God. So many times when we fail, we blame God. You ever do that? I, 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 I'm the one that brought the failure on myself it's my mistakes, and yet I shake my fist at God, and you get bitter at Him. Or we can be better. We can say, God, how can you use this in my life to cultivate me, to make me who you want me to be to fulfill the plan and purposes that you have? Failure doesn't have to be my enemy. It can actually be my friend. And number four, relaxing in God's grace. Uh, David writes in Psalm 103, for he knows how weak we are, He remembers we are only dust. If we we think we have to be perfect to be accepted by God, we have missed the central message of the Bible. You see, every other world religion, every other philosophy, says that the way to get right with God is D.O. You must do this list of do's and avoid this list of don'ts. You must do this ritual. You must do these religious acts. Only in Christ do we find it is not about what we do it is about what Christ has done, D-O-N-E. Everything else in life is D-O. What have you done for me? What do you do for me? Uh, what do you do to be right with God? Only in Christ can we relax in God's grace and said it is what has already been done for me. When Jesus died on the cross, Paul writes, he canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. You know, one of the things that, the thousand things that lead me to believe in the veracity, the validity of God's word, there are thousands and thousands of historical and scientific and, histor- and archaeological pieces of evidence. But you know, one of the, the, the pieces of evidence I find most compelling is that every other book of antiquity, every other book of antiquity, sh- sugarcoats the flaws and the failures of their heroes. I mean, they all do it. I mean, Pharaoh so-and-so was the greatest Pharaoh ever, never lost a battle. Now, you look at other sources, he lost plenty of battles, but not when they tell the story in Egypt, okay? A king so-and-so Babylon was awesome all the time and never failed. You look at extra history, and they'll say, not true, but in their history it is. And then you come to God's Word, and our so-called heroes are so flawed, They are one messed up group of people. I mean, just think of of, of Saul and David and Solomon and Herod. Just think about the flaws that are recorded about them. Why? Because God's book cover to cover is not about what we must do to be perfect. It is about what Christ has done and how we relax in the grace of the death of Christ and his shed blood on the cross. Love, Paul says, never fails. Now maybe the reason you're here today is just for this moment. Would you like to know that you're clean? Would you like to know that you're forgiven? Would you like to know that every failure you've ever done, every thing you've said you shouldn't have said, or thing you should have said that you didn't say, or everything you thought you shouldn't have thought, every single one of those, you are forgiven. If you look on the next page there, next to your study outline, the upper left-hand corner, it says, How to Become a Follower of Jesus And the first step is to admit our condition before God. Remember that verse we looked at earlier? A person who refuses to admit their mistakes will never be successful. I could change the word in there, forgiven. If you refuse to admit your your status before God, your failure, you can never be forgiven. But he or she who confesses and forsakes them gets another chance, gets forgiven. For all have sinned and fall short. Imperfect, fall short, failure, failure. Of the glory, the perfect standards of God. Believe that Jesus is God's only solution to that condition. For the wages or the result of sin is death, spiritual death, physical death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And choose to follow Christ to be your Savior for your forgiveness and your Lord. Jesus said, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life? This is your moment. Would you like to cross over, despite all your flaws and failures, would you like to cross over from spiritual death to spiritual life? Let's pray this prayer as the praise band comes back up for the closing song. Let's pray this prayer together. Would you pray silently as I pray out loud? Dear God, thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to earth. I believe Jesus was who he said he was and proved it by rising from death. I want to discover and begin following your plan and your purpose for my life. I want to get to know you personally. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for dying for me and forgiving all my sins. Right here, right now, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for your free gift of eternal life. And I pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said.